My guest today is Margot McDonald. Margot is an actor and a playwright. And she's been a ghost researcher and a tour guide for Haunted Walks for many years. When I heard about her love of the supernatural, I really wanted to get her on and ask about that. This is Geek 4, a podcast about fans, fandom, and fan culture. I'm Dr. Michael Boyce. Everyone likes something, but what are you a geek for? We're going to talk about ghosts. Yeah. So we're in a darkened room. We've lit some candles. Where does this fascination with ghosts begin for you? Well, I partly blame my brother. Um, I'm the youngest of seven, a large uh, family. You know, my parents were from Nova Scotia and uh, full of that Celtic lore of um, ghost stories and things that go bump in the night. But the brother who's closest to me in age was the one who would try to scare me with telling me ghost stories or, you know, we'd be in Nova Scotia visiting relatives and there'd be a spooky house nearby that he and my cousin would, you know, take me to. But I didn't end up getting too scared. I ended up becoming as fascinated as he was about these things. And and also in our family, one of my great uncles um, was sent to investigate a poltergeist phenomenon in the 1920s in Nova Scotia. Um, The fire spook of Caledonia Mills. And we always knew that story and about him going there and what happened. And, you know, it was a bit scary um, to, to know about as a kid, but at the same time, you know, you became fascinated. And I guess that's where it all started. Wow. <laughs> Investigating a poltergeist. Yeah, he was, he was a newspaper reporter for the Halifax Herald. Other jobs as required. Um, that's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know growing up, campfires, that was always the place that people would tell ghost stories. And I heard a lot of like the same kind of the the um, the, the folkloric ones, you know, they're all the same. Mm-hmm. But then I started hearing other ones. Like, how are you collecting ghost stories as you're a young person? Well, you know, I think when you're young, there's no real difference in your mind between the ghost stories you you see on TV or you may read in those, uh, you know, the kids' magazines that would come out. Oh, and what was it? Scholastic <gasps> books. You know, every year I would always buy, buy the Halloween ones. And, you know, I remember being in grade four or five and on my own time and for no school project, just researching the origins of Halloween in the library, because that's the kind of kid I was. And I wanted to know, like, where did it come from? And what does it really mean? And, but I, like I said, I think when you're a kid, you know, you're hearing some, you know, made up uh, urban legend, or we might call them creepypasta Mm -hmm. today that you're sitting around a, a campfire, you know, and it's just as scary as, you know, hearing that, my relative, you know, experienced a poltergeist, you know, but I I think uh, later on, you start to make the distinction between the ones that are fiction and the ones that are a bit more compelling are the ones that really happen to people that we, we still don't really know how to explain. It's a big question. I, I know that. 
why do you think people continue to be fascinated with stories of the supernatural and the paranormal? Like, what is it about that, that type of story that draws us in? Mm, it is a big question because it's a many factored yeah. question, <laughs> but I, I think we are fascinated by things that we can't explain. And I do think for some people, there is the question of survival after mm -hmm. death. Do we actually survive? Is there something beyond this? The presence of ghosts that seem to be a person who lived at one time and is not living anymore, you know, seems to provide for some people proof or evidence that there, there must be survival after death. For other people, it might be evidence that this is not the only timeline mm. <laughs> and that we sometimes catch glimpses of other timelines. And, and I do think there's something about feeling afraid in a safe way that allows us to overcome, you know, our, our own dreads and fears to some degree. I think for some people watching horror movies or going on, you know, spooky ghost tours or even going to investigate in famous haunted places is more about dealing with their own inner fears and their own inner demons, maybe, mm. uh, than it is with, uh, with the reality of whether ghosts exist or not, um, or whether the paranormal is an actual thing or not. So like I said, it's a really broad yeah. question, and it really depends on who you're asking, why they're fascinated. And for some, everyone just likes a little, little frisson, a little chill down the spine, a little like, oh, that's spooky. And then getting to go home to your safe house with, you know, your cat, maybe. And hopefully there are no ghosts there. <laughs> hopefully. Yes. That there probably are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, I mean, this research project that you, you started as a young person into Halloween, um, you've continued to research and like seek out these stories. Mm -hmm. What sorts of stories draw you in? Well, for me, it's all about the personal experience. Um, I did, I took, I took a introduction to parapsychology course. As it turns out, it happened to coincide with the beginning of the pandemic. I just happened to sign up for it. And I was like, oh, thank goodness I, I did this because now I have something to do that I can just, mm -hmm. you know, focus on. So I took introduction to parapsychology with the University of Edinburgh that has one of the most famous uh, parapsychology um, sections mm -hmm. of anywhere in the world. And I took it because I was beginning to think, you know, would I be interested in the, in the science side of it? Would I be interested in doing the experiments in a lab? You know, am I, am I, could I pursue, you know, becoming a, a doctor of parapsychology? Is, and I realized, you know, through taking the course that as fascinating as it was and as good as the course was, that wasn't what I wanted to do. And my professor was like, well, that in itself is something that's good to know, that what I realized I am actually fascinated by is the human experience of the paranormal. And that's not really something you can test in a lab to see whether, you know, you can influence the call of a one or a zero in a computer or something, which is fascinating in its own way, but it's not what I 
It's not mm. what I love about it. What I love is, you know, I I work as a tour guide for the Haunted Walk, and I have for over 20 years now, um, starting in Ottawa, and I do it as well now in Toronto. That they they have tours in Kingston that I've you know I've been involved with as well. But for me, it's the the people that come up to you after the tour and say, well, you know, I. I grew up in a haunted house and this is what it was like and or you know on the tour people experiencing things from time to time as well um or the other tour guides or myself um really for me that's that's mm. what fascinates me how do we as people experience these things and why are so many of the experiences the same, no matter what culture or time period they come from? And so that's that's what I'm looking into. That's really interesting. The, the the ways in which we connect to the those experiences as people. Um, you must have people mm -hmm. like confessing really interesting things to you as a tour guide on these things. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Some sometimes, uh, you know, in our our. Uh, our boss at Haunted Walks has always said this, that, that remember that sometimes people come on the tour because they have something they need to share and they, they don't know where else is safe to share it, you know, because people often get made fun of or, you know, not believed or, or they're afraid to confess to the people in their everyday life something weird that happened to them. But coming on a ghost tour, they, they kind of know that that we love those stories and would not no. mock them for it. So yeah, you do sometimes get some really <laughs> deep dive <laughs> confessions out of people and other it's, it's more, yeah. it's light. And they're like, Oh, I stayed in this haunted hotel once and the door opened in the middle of the night, you know, and it's just a light kind of this weird one time, this weird thing happened. And, you know, I do find with most people, even if they don't believe in ghosts, which you certainly don't have to mm -hmm. believe in ghosts to have weird things happen, you know, you'll say, has anything, you know, we often, talking to our guests will say, you know, has anything spooky or strange ever happened to you? And they'll go, oh, no, 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 I've, I've never experienced anything. And then they'll go, except this one time, <laughs> you know, and it seems like almost everybody has a story of something weird, maybe not ghostly, but something weird that has happened to them at some point that has never left their mind because they still aren't quite sure how to explain it. Yeah. And our, in our society, like we don't talk about those things because you do get made fun of because people do not understand. Yeah. What interesting things have happened to you? <laughs> oh, me personally? <laughs> yes. Um, have you got a few hours? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to make this a multiple part podcast. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it, it, it's possible that I had weird things happened to me growing up, but I don't really remember them. You know, a lot of things that that have happened to me from time to time. Uh, you know, I used to be called the Scully of the of the Haunted Walk Company because I would try to debunk the stories, but I do feel we have a responsibility to look for a, a natural explanation before just saying, well, it was ghosts <laughs> or, yes. or, you know, uh, Let's let's forbid the idea that it might be demons because um, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> but I do like to try to debunk it. So even weird things that have happened to me, you know, I will go, oh, that was weird. And I might even get that, you know, that shivery feeling of like, what just happened? But I will then be like, well, maybe I just didn't pay attention, you know, that sort of thing. So the first, what I would call my first major 
paranormal experience actually happened in my first summer of working for Haunted Walks. So about 20 years ago now. And um, we were having a staff meeting and there was supposed to be an activity after the meeting, which was to go to the, the Bytown Museum in Ottawa. It's down by the locks of the Rideau Canal and it's very haunted. And we were going to have an activity of watching a scary movie inside this haunted building. Um, and, you know, after the meeting, everybody started backing out of this plan to go to this haunted building to see this uh, ghost movie. It was uh, <laughs> The Sixth Sense was the movie we were going to watch. And, okay. and eventually, you know, there were only a few of us left. And so we said, okay, we'll cancel the activity. And we just stayed and finished the meeting where we were. And then after the meeting, uh, Glenn, who is the founder of the Haunted Walks and uh, a good friend of mine as well, of course, after all these years <laughs> being working together. And, uh, you know, he said, oh no, I'm still gonna have to go and set the security alarm in the museum because they locked up the staff when they left, but they knew we were gonna be there. So they didn't, they said they wouldn't set the alarm. But it was about quarter past 11 at night and you have to walk down this really long dark roadway to get to the museum and glenn you know for whatever reason didn't really want to do this by himself so he asked if any um anybody would volunteer to go with him so i said sure that i would go and another tour guide of ours whose name was emily and uh her mom who was just waiting to drive emily home uh we made her come with us too so we all walk down we get inside the it's locked but when we open the door we realize all the lights are still on so we think oh let's look around for a bit we you know um we hadn't been in for a while there's some really cool things in the museum so we we walked through the whole building you know we were down in the vault all through all the floors the very top floor and uh you know we we were completely alone there was nobody else we looked in all the rooms and uh glenn decided we should probably go because you know it's getting late and he starts climbing down the stairs and I follow behind him and the other two were up behind me. But I get down the stairs from the third floor onto the second floor and I see Glenn standing at the top of the other set of stairs leading down to the main floor. But he's frozen in place with this odd look on his face. And I ask him what's wrong and he says, okay, I swear I just heard the sound of footsteps coming up these stairs towards me. You know, what you need to know is that the sound of footsteps walking up and down the stairs in that building when there's no one there is one of the most reported uh, unusual activities in the building. Sure. <laughs> you know, so we're both kind of looking at each other. And I said, well, I heard that sound too, but wasn't it just the other two um, folks coming down the stairs above us. Oh, Scully. Mm -hmm. Scully. <laughs> so he's like, okay, yeah, probably, you know, so like, let's go look. We went and looked and we look up the stairs. They're still standing on the third floor reading this exhibit that's on the wall. They actually haven't moved even a foot from where we left them when we, when we went down. And it's only been, you know, a minute. We asked them if they'd been walking around. They said, no, you know, we tried to find all <laughs> the ways to, to debunk it, you know, climb on the stairs, see if they pop back, which sometimes that happens in certain buildings, but they didn't. And we tried everything we could think of. We're like, okay, so we can't find an explanation for this sound. Let's leave real fast. So we all go running down to the main floor and Glenn went over into the corner where the alarm pad was so that he could punch in the code. The other three of us stood inside the front door of the museum and Glenn pointed at this 
monitor in the corner that showed the room on the other side of where he was. He slides this wooden door shut between the rooms and says, keep an eye on the monitor. If you see anything move, we're out of here, right? So I'm kind of keeping one eye on the monitor that shows the room on the other side. And Glenn is trying to remember the alarm code, he said later. And uh, so there's this kind of brief pause while he says, okay, I'm gonna set the alarm now. And we all were quiet so that he could concentrate. And all of a sudden, I clearly heard the sound of footsteps walking across the second floor above our heads. And it you know, came from towards where the top of the stairs were and it walked diagonally across towards where we were standing, but above our heads. So I'm kind of thinking, okay, okay. You know, and I'm like, uh, maybe it's just my imagination. You know, we're all hyped up from the uh, previous sounds we'd heard. And I, I look over at Emily to see if she heard anything. And she's literally standing there with her hands in the air, looking up at the ceiling with this like shocked expression on her face. And I look at her mom and her mom is just frozen, kind of staring up at the ceiling too. And I'm thinking, okay, they must've heard it. And they look at me and I look at them and we're just about to say something to Glenn when suddenly he says from over in the corner, which um, by the way, we couldn't quite see him because there's a display in the middle of the room between us, but we hear him say, uh, hey, did, did you just see that? And we're like, what? See what? And my hand was already on the crash bar of the door. And I have to say, our impulse was just like, fly. You know, and we just like left the building. Leave Glenn. Well, exactly. Glenn. And that, well, that's actually what happened was that he just started, he was like yelling out like, no, don't leave me. Like, you can't leave me here alone. Um, turns out he got so scared that he actually froze in place. So, you know, when you get scared, one of three things happen. You either freeze, you get in fight mode, or you f get in flight mode where you run away. For Glenn, he froze. Mm -hmm. So I actually, you know, feeling bad, I ran back into the building, grabbed his arm and got him outside. And when we, you know, calmed down to talk about it, of course, we realized Glenn had a different experience from the three of us standing inside the front door. We obviously we'd all heard that same sound and we checked in with each other and yeah, it was the same. But Glenn said, what? No, I didn't hear any footsteps, but I, it's hard to say, you know, <laughs> whether I did or didn't, because what happened was, remember, he had closed that sliding wooden door. And as he's standing there trying to think of what the alarm code was, he starts watching the door start vibrating like shaking and then it starts shaking faster and harder and then faster and even harder till it's you know really looking like someone's standing on the other side pushing at it but remember I was keeping mm -hmm. an eye on the monitor that showed that exact space and there was nobody there and nothing otherwise I certainly would have uh. noticed and so because of the display between us we hadn't seen that happen um, we had then to go back into the building, though, because Glenn still hadn't set the alarm and he had, you know, left oh. his things on the floor there uh, when he put them down. And so we, Glenn and I went back in. He set the alarm really quick. We got, we got the stuff and we left the building, locked it up behind us. But then, but then, you know, we were excited and chatting and trying to figure this out. And we're standing around the building for a good half hour or more. And during all that time, the motion detectors part of the alarm system we had just set in the building didn't mm -hmm. go off and they didn't go off that entire night and Glenn and I went back a few days later to try to debunk uh, what had happened and we were absolutely unable to do so and so that 
was my very first what I would call actual paranormal encounter because I, I was not the only witness. Um, we weren't able to debunk it in spite of all of our efforts. And uh, to this day, you know, it's it's still one of my favorite experiences. Yeah. And you're a better person than I, because Glenn would still be standing there with a keypad. <laughs> I would have gone and left him. Oh, but when you when you heard how <laughs> scared and sad he was that we had run away, you might you might have gone back. Oh. <laughs> it's funny. The the building that I'm in right now, work in downtown Winnipeg, um, the, the, it used to be a YWCA and there's stories amongst the resident students for years about hauntings mm. and stuff. Apparently the basement and sub basements really, really scary, but apparently there's a little girl ghost. Oh no. Children ghosts are the worst. Yeah. And I'm like, I've been here late at night. And if I ever see that thing, I'm going out a window. Oh like, no, don't do that. <laughs> that is terrifying. Right? It's the second floor. I could, uh, I'll survive the fall. It's okay. <laughs> but that, the, that idea I've spent the night mm. in a haunted house and, that idea just terrifies mm -hmm. me. Yeah, I must say, after all these years and various different experiences, um, I still have yet to actually knowingly see a ghost. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, people ask all the time, you know, why are ghosts always in old fashioned clothing and that sort of thing? But I don't think they actually are. I just think, well, if somebody was wearing modern clothing and you saw them, you probably wouldn't think twice about it. If somebody's wearing a Victorian nightgown and you see them, you're gonna pay more attention, right? And yeah. uh, and you know, I think the other thing too is that uh, the longer a haunting has been around, the more people potentially have witnessed it, and so those stories become entrenched. Whereas you know, the the ghost of a 1970s motorcyclist has maybe only been seen by a handful of people over the years. You know, now you are an actor and you tour around mm -hmm. and do shows um how far does the ghost research go when you're traveling are you looking for new stories in different cities i mean the cities you describe are all old canadian cities that would have mm -hmm. history and hauntings where else have you well the research uh, outside of ontario is generally pretty casual because the uh, you know, research within Ontario goes towards the the tours and the mm -hmm. products that uh, that I help build with uh, the Haunted Walk. But I have always and continue to do so seek out um, haunted locations and and other you know ghost tours from from anywhere that I travel. In fact, that's how I ended up working as a as a ghost tour guide because I loved going on ghost tours when I was in you know England, for example, um, and when I came. I actually like did my uh, postgrad in uh, in classical acting in England, and that's where I really got to know about ghost tours. And when I came back uh, to Canada, that's when I saw Haunted Box was hiring, and that's how I ended up. You know, and twenty years later, I'm still loving it. Um, wow. But yeah, I do I do seek it out. Um, was just on a mini break with my wife uh, just the past few days and we went to Niagara-on-the-Lake and my wife very um, indulgingly came with me to you know the screaming tunnel that I'd never been to before and we also went to the Drummond Hill Cemetery and we went on the ghost tour which which was really great and um, we uh, just uh, of I mean Niagara-on-the-Lake and um, the ghost guide recommended seeing this abandoned house that that it was left abandoned for 50 years because of ghost activity. It's now being 
um, fixed up and, you know, will no longer look as spooky. So we thought, oh, we better get over and look at that and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, I just kind of check it out wherever I go. I'm always buying books of local ghost stories. I especially like the ones that are not mass produced, you know, like the the ghost story books that are put out by the little local historic society or just one person town who like me just loves collecting ghost stories from folks. And Mm -hmm. those are the ones that I love to find, but yeah, it's just kind of casual ongoing uh, love of hearing people's ghost stories and, and uh, looking at haunted places. So, you know, I've been fortunate uh, over my life to travel to a lot of uh, a lot of places um, across Canada, you know, touring with shows and usually the fringe festivals. Um, but I've also been uh, throughout the UK and Ireland and uh, to sometimes to France and I've been to Prague and uh, and a little bit in the United States, but not a lot yet. Mm. Um, but yeah, everywhere I go, it's always looking for the ghosts. <laughs> Um, of all the places you've been, which city had the most uh, that that you weren't doing a, a guided tour of yourself mm. had the most interesting ghost stories? Like it's got to be it's got to be somewhere in Europe. I mean, right? Prague was kind of fascinating because there's a there's a lot of throwing people out of windows as part of the history. I guess you know, and and the tour guide would say <laughs> defenestration, and after a while, you'd be like defenestration, and you realize, oh, that means throwing out a window Thanks. and it was like yeah. this is my favorite new word to have learned on this uh, ghost tour in Prague and it uh you know it's just a part of their history that it's like they have these big tall windows these really tall old buildings and just you know some government person would you know make everybody mad and somebody would just walk up to him and like push him out the window into the canal or the river you know it's like yeah so you get a lot of creepy ghosts uh there and uh you know london of course is you can't you can't beat london for its ghost stories and practically every block there's some ghost story or other uh you know the tower of london the hampton court palace and they're very um very classy classic as well like chains and blood type ghosts there but the ones in prague were were you know particularly violent deaths um and that would lead to these terrible hauntings yeah it sounds fascinating so how much of your playwriting and storytelling in your dramatic identity are you bringing ghost stories in like are like do they become inspirational as you're developing shows uh you would think it would wouldn't you (laughs) I will say that I guess the one the the way that it definitely does influence is after so many years of telling ghost stories and of you know learning that skill and teaching that skill to others and you know and going on various tours some of which are you know, they're not all created equal. So some are fantastic and some are like, oh, if only I could spend an hour with you and <laughs> give you some hints on how to tell a better ghost story, you know. Um, Here are my notes. <laughs> which, which, you know, I never do, but uh, but in my mind oh, no. I do sometimes. And, uh, and, but, you know, that's something I, I have done for Haunted Walks too, is teach the, mm-hmm. the storytelling. Um, so I think more than anything, how it's affected my, the plays that I've written so far is that I have a very good sense of 
of building that structure of having mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. suspense and then the payoff that's required at the end you know and what you can leave unsaid and still get that effect and that sort of thing so I think it's just more than anything uh learning the skill of storytelling that ghost stories are a great way to learn and practice that skill because we we all know what we want from a ghost story you know and yeah. but so far I mean I I have written some very tiny plays that are are spooky or paranormal in nature, but none of them have have been performed or produced, except that um, I have a 20 minute play that's about um, Noel Coward and Radcliffe Hall holding a seance in the 1920s, which is based on the true fact that Radcliffe Hall did did hold seances to talk to her dead lover and uh and that she was friends with Noel Coward who wrote a play about a seance Blythe Spirit based on yeah. Radcliffe Hall um and her seances so it's a standing at a little 20 minute play so far it does have a psychic medium who comes in and and a ghost does appear right at the very end or at least their voice um and I've always meant to expand it into a full-length play but so far that is not um happened um and uh but i do think from time to time i you know i do have kind of half started uh and incomplete pieces that are um definitely theatrical pieces that involve ghosts or the paranormal but uh they've yet to see the light of day in any real way and um, i feel like there's the it's the time for a resurgence in theatrical ghost stories i don't feel like i've seen a lot recently and uh, you know the older ones by the spirit mm -hmm. i mean that's very much of its time i find mm -hmm. yeah. um and yeah as you said like ghost stories narratively speaking ghost stories are perfect little stories mm -hmm. because you know you you get the payoff you can build the suspense all the things that literary people really like you it's so tangible in a ghost story and the people who tell ghost stories like really like to tell ghost stories and mostly if it's something that's happened to them they've practiced it so they know where the pause is and they know where to to leave you hanging a little bit mm -hmm. and question it's oh yeah yeah it's a skill for sure and you know I, I do think I think part of the problem with with doing ghost stories on stage and I mean I have seen a few I saw the uh the woman in black uh which mm. was such a, a great film um but it was it was like a two-person show um, that I oh. saw in London, and it been playing for quite a while. It it was quite good, mm. but yet, you know, <laughs> and that's the problem is that film, film and TV, you know, they can do the paranormal so much uh, more convincingly. I won't say better, but yeah. more convincingly than than we can in the theater, and uh, it requires a larger suspension of disbelief in the theater than it does and so you end up relying on jump scares which can be effective but you know the, the after the after effect is that was cheesy because you you scream and then you end up laughing right mm -hmm. so because that's what jump scares do and a lot of you know a lot of ghost tours also rely on that though it's not something we we generally do at haunted walks but but uh, my preference is to have a really strong story that acts on the imagination that yeah. because what, you know, and Alfred Hitchcock knew this, for example, that one of mm -hmm. his, his favorite things to say was that the fear comes not from 
suddenly doing something unexpected. So a jump scare, right? Mm -hmm. But it comes from slowly and carefully, you know, exactly what the viewer does not want to happen happens. Like if you think of rear window and those footsteps yep. coming up the back stairs and in a modern movie or something, it might, the door might open and be his girlfriend again or a neighbor or something, mm -hmm. but no, in Hitchcock, it's exactly who you don't want it to be arriving at exactly the most vulnerable moment for this character. And so, you know, that's, um, that's easier to do in film, I think, than theater. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And there have been some, yeah. some pretty great, uh, ghost story or paranormal stories that have been on stage but but yeah let's have a resurgence let's do more um actually my most my most recent play um was something I didn't write but I performed um and we did it on you know we did it on film because it was pandemic and it was a weird experience because I've never <laughs> really done that before I did do a a live stream you know really pared down version of the elephant girls you know my my play mm -hmm. about an all-female gang um which if people haven't seen like seek it out it is <laughs> it is a such a powerful work, piece of work oh, it thanks, is Michael. so amazing thank you i do hope to get back to touring it um you know when the world allows but um yes but this play i had a spot in well i had spots in the winnipeg and ottawa fringes but unfortunately i had to let the winnipeg one go because they uh, you know, they, they really, they were hoping for the best and held out making their, their, okay, we'll have it online decision for a long time. So I just had to let it go, but I still had the one in Ottawa. I was still hoping that even if it, even if I had to perform to audiences of 10, I could do some little cool, little intimate mm -hmm. thing that would make us all feel satisfied of like, oh, we've shared this experience that will never happen again, you know, that kind of thing. But eventually Ottawa mm -hmm. said, no, we've, we can't, you know, we can't, it's just still too dangerous and regulations and so on. So they went online as well. And I was about to give up that spot because quite honestly, Michael, the pandemic really uh, just made it impossible for me to even think of doing theater and let alone write anything new. So I suddenly though had an idea. I, I feel you. Yeah. You same for you. I... This was hard. Oh gosh. This has been hard. It's been devastating. Yeah, I, I lost the ability to do so many of the things that are kind of my outlets, yeah. um, reading and watching movies and, and you know, that fun stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, no, and I can't imagine, you know, thinking about performing and then having that space taken away. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I really empathize. Yeah, so. I, I'm sure everyone can. I mean, whether you're mm -hmm. in the arts or not, there for all of us, things taken away that were so meaningful to you and maybe you didn't even realize how much it was and part of your life until you couldn't do it anymore you know but for me um you know there was a long period we didn't even know would theater ever come back the way that we love yeah. to do it you know and still we're still sitting in that position now I mean it starts to feel more hopeful with more vaccinations happening and you know uh -huh. those spaces feeling a bit safer and but so I I knew I couldn't write anything and I thought, well, I, I don't really have anything. And I, I guess I'll, you know, I'll give it one more day and I'll, uh, then I'll give up that spot. And I suddenly remembered that I have some very dear friends who just so happen to be, you know, multi award winning uh, speculative fiction and 
horror authors. Um, and nice to have those in your back pocket. I mean, <laughs> they're really fabulous writers and really amazing people. And I suddenly thought, I wonder if you know, one of these friends would write me a monologue. And then I thought, ooh, I wonder if three of these friends would write me a monologue. And uh, and so I asked them and they all agreed to this strange plan that I had. And um, and so it's Kelly Robson, Amal Emta, and A.M. Delamonica. And uh, I had for years an idea, and I had started writing, but never got anywhere with it, a, a, a triptych, so three pieces of uncanny abduction. Um, you know, I like the, this, you know, this knowledge uh, that how people describe their, their alien or UFO abductions is very similar to how people used to describe abductions by the fairies, right, or the fae. Mm-hmm. Um, and or, you know, so I just always was kind of fascinated by that idea. I gave this to them as something to go with. And, uh, and uh, Kelly Robson came up with a title um, dressed as people out of out of a poem. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't remember. I shouldn't have said it because now I can't remember the name of the poet. But anyway, came up with this idea for the title of dressed as people like, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the idea of like monsters who are dressed as people but um so they wrote me three monologues and it turned out that none of them even though they're you know science fiction writers none of them wrote about aliens or ufos but they did write about um ghosts and mermaid and uh fairies and there are three different time periods and three different characters and three different monologues so i did that as a as a filmed show and um and there could be some exciting news coming up about that soon Ooh. but i'm not allowed to tell you yet all right uh, <laughs> but uh stay tuned yeah exactly <laughs> oh that's exciting mm-hmm. and i must say like a really creative way to deal with uh the situation yeah right? and my excitement to work with them in this way you know and they were mm-hmm. super excited as well to work in theater so they had various levels of having been involved in theater uh in their you know non-writing lives (laughs) um and you know so they were really excited about it too and I was excited to speak their words but but it was still a really difficult um process uh my pandemic brain made it very difficult to you know memorize these three pieces we did them all as like a a one take um one shot I should say uh for each monologue and Mm -hmm. uh and put it together. Another friend of ours, Sieski, uh, wrote music and sound for it. Oh. And uh, and anyway, it all uh, it all came together, and it went went over really well. But what we're looking forward to now is um, actually getting to hopefully perform it live in front of an audience that we can actually or that I can actually see and respond to, because that's the weird thing. I, I've never been much of a film or a television actor. I've done very little of it and haven't pursued it throughout my career, much to my agent's chagrin. But um, I, I, what I love about theater is that, and what I love about being a ghost tour guide, you know, is that mm-hmm. direct contact with the audience and letting their energy and response to what you're saying or what you're performing, you know, feed and inform 
what you say and do next. So it, like every every time I tell a, a ghost story or every time I perform a show, even though I may have performed it, you know, a hundred times before, it's different because of the energy that you get back from the people you're telling it to or performing it for. And and that's what I love. And that's why, you know, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> that's why it was so devastating to not be able to do that. And any work that I did have over the last, you know, almost two years now has been on Zoom or online or, you know, and there's some joy and satisfaction from that, of course, but it just doesn't feel the same. It's not the same. Not the same. It's not, no, no. Well, I can't wait to see the show live. I, I hope I get the opportunity because it's always a pleasure to watch you work. Oh, um, thanks, Michael. Honestly. That's lovely. Would you be up for some fast four question and answer? I definitely will do my best. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. People get nervous. It's very not okay. nervous. I won't be, not nervous. I won't be nervous. <laughs> what is the first thing that you would have identified yourself as a fan of? You mean like fandom in terms of like buying the merch and seeking things out uh, related to yes. it? Okay. Buffy yes. the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> oh, good answer. Good answer. Um, is there something that you're a big fan of that might surprise people? Um, something I'm a big fan of surprise people i don't know what is surprising jane austen is that surprising no <laughs> well having talked i i would have said no before but having talked about ghosts like yeah okay i can it's, see that I can, the, history, yeah. the, the wit of her writing is yeah oh yeah no persuasion <laughs> is one of the best books ever written nice. um what is the geekiest thing you own mm. and you can define geeky however you want uh okay so for many years like a decade or so i was in an historic uh fencing salon um where we we learned the real and very difficult skills of fighting with uh 17th century rapiers and uh mostly that and uh wow. and so in order to test out our skills we would uh also dress in 17th century of course men's uh clothing because mm -hmm. women weren't involved at the time or not very much um and we would challenge each other to duels and we would fight duels so to this day i own uh a, a rapier that was actually made for me by uh, by a master um crafter called peregrine who unfortunately uh passed away a number of years ago but and i also own a small closet full of 17th century's basic, you know, men's clothing. So it's like, um, it gets, shows up in the Shakespeare readings every once in a while. But yes, yes. that's that's probably the geekiest thing I own. <laughs> that's fantastic. It's like a real Kill Bill thing there. Yeah. With the sword being made for you. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Where is the scariest place you've ever stayed? Ooh. The scariest place I've ever stayed. Well, I stayed overnight on death row in the Carleton County Jail in Ottawa. It definitely was a very scary proposition, but it ended up not so scary because I slept really well and didn't have any spooky <laughs> things happen to me. But it was definitely one of the scariest places I do try to rent uh, from haunted hotels wherever I travel. Okay. But all right. 
Next time you're in Winnipeg, the Fort Gary. Yeah, I know. The blood down yeah. the walls. I can't wait. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've never seen it. I've no. only seen really bad, the, the faux 18th century ballroom, yeah. which is scary enough for me. Me too. Frankly. Yeah. I went on a ghost tour there and they showed us that. Oh, that's it. oh. well, I'll, I'll bring you here the next time you're here. You Maybe we can find a little girl. Oh, yeah, let's do that. Keep you from running away. <laughs> yeah, I might be gone. You we might need to bring your sword. Okay. Where can people find you online if they want to find more about what you're doing, your plays, your ghost tours? I'm pretty easy to find uh, online. Um, uh, Margot, M-A-R-G-O, MacDonald, M-A-C-D-O-N-A-L-D. If you Google me, the first thing that will come up is the Scottish MP who uh, who has the exact same name and spelling as me, who, uh, who was, uh, you know, fortunately a great MP, but uh, also passed away. So that's not her term, <laughs> but the other Margaret McDonald is me, but you can find me on my website, um, Perry Repost, you know, the fencing. Uh, so it's P-A-R-R-Y-R-I-P-O-S-T-E.com. You find it information about my shows um, or email me through there if you have any questions, even if it's just about ghosts. And uh, you can also uh, find me on Instagram and Twitter at Margot underscore thespian. And uh, you can find out more about the ghost tours that I do hauntedwalk.com. All right. I will link to all of those in the show notes so people can find that. Thank you so much for your time. This was a fascinating conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you, Michael. I really enjoyed it too. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for joining me on Geek 4. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Geek4Pod or me on Twitter at MWBoyce. If you listen on Apple Podcast, click the subscribe button and consider leaving a five-star review. Be sure to join us next time when we learn what someone else is a geek for.